So I'm standing back there and listening and singing way too loud to be by myself in a hallway. I can really hear myself well. And the thought that comes to mind, as you take your Bibles go to Ephesians 1, the thought that comes to mind is, man, I wish I could see what you have in Christ. I, I wish that that challenge of that song, that invitation in that song to come and see what God has done, I wish that you could know what you have in Christ. Because if you knew what you had in Jesus Christ, it would, it would fill you with hope. It'd fill you with anticipation for what's coming down the road, but it, would, it, it, it wouldn't make today easier, but it would change the way you face today. I wish you could know it. Um, it's, it's, similar, it's similar to um, working with engaged couples. There's, there's that incredible joy and lightness that comes when they've been dating for long, and oh, he gave me the ring, and tell the story, because every engagement's now a story. It has to be an event. Trapeze, magic, cannons, But shortly after that ring goes on the finger, something changes in that relationship. It happens to every single couple. Because what's happened up to that point is they've engaged with each other, involved each other in every aspect of their life. They've put on the best face. They've tried to create this aura of, you do want to spend the rest of your life with me, and they hide the crazy. For some reason, that ring brings all the crazy out, Most of it is, in in, in everybody's defense, most of it is simply because there's so much work to do to do a wedding now. Because again, like the engagement is a Broadway performance. The wedding, I mean, you you need to pull out all the stops and spend a gazillion dollars. And there's, there's, um, there's, there's cake and there's flowers and there's dresses and there's people that you need to please and not make unhappy. And what ends up happening is you are no longer focused on each other in sowing seeds of the relationship that created this desire to be with each other. You are now work partners and you know how you feel about the people you work with. And in almost every single wedding that I've done, at some point in that process, at least one gets to the point where they're like, why are we doing this? And so here's, here's some free uh, marriage, pre-marriage counseling. First and foremost, elope. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You're gonna, you're, at some point, if you're engaged, at some point, you're gonna be like, we should have eloped. And I'm gonna say, I told you. But it's important that the couple stops during that process of planning this mammoth wedding and sets all of those details aside and stops talking about the event and stops talking about how we can make mom happy and grandmom happy and crazy Aunt Gertrude happy and set all that aside and just spend, and my requirement in pre-marriage counseling is two hours a week. It has to be two straight hours where you do not talk about the wedding because you can sow a lot of good seeds to have a wonderful wedding. But then when the wedding's done, you have nothing to talk about which is why the first year of marriage tends to go, whoa. See, because instead of seeing this person before you, who you adore, who you love, who you are madly in love with, as the goal, the end of what you're doing, you see that wedding day as the end of what you're doing. And now you have set yourself up for a disaster. 
If you could see what God has done for you in Jesus Christ, the crazy is going to happen. The stress is going to continue. Everything, the chaos of the world will go. But somehow, you're going to be able to navigate through that. That's why Jeremiah 29.11 is in fact true. Jeremiah is talking about how you are going to be in captivity for 70 years. It's going to be miserable. And you don't get a choice in this. It's judgment that's coming on you. But Jeremiah 29.11, but... In the middle of the insanity, in the middle of the difficulty, in the middle of the trials, I know the plans I have for you. Plans for well-being, not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. You can walk through this, not just with a, a proud disposition, but with your head held high, knowing that where you are walking to is this glorious moment where you're in God's presence. If you knew what God had in store for you, if you knew what God had given to you, work tomorrow will be a whole lot easier. A doctor appointment won't be so traumatizing. Balancing the checkbook won't be as terrifying. And that's what Paul's trying to tell us here in Ephesians 1. I want you to know what you have in him. That's why he says it over and over time, more than 30 times in the book of Ephesians. In him, in Jesus, in Christ. You need to understand what you have in Christ. I am confident that if you could see and understand what you have in Jesus Christ, your perspective will be forever changed no matter how difficult the mountain that sits in front of you is. In Christ. Now it's important that you understand what it means to be in Christ. In Christ does not mean in church. In, in Christ. You don't get any points in heaven because you're in church. I mean, I'm glad you're here. Thanks for being here. Don't want to get rid of y'all. Get points in my book. But that doesn't matter in eternity. You can't stand before God and say, listen, you and I are good because I was in church. God say, no, 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 no. You're supposed to be in Christ. So actually, <laughs> you're in trouble. Um, because your acceptance in God's eyes all comes down to being in Christ. And you're not in Christ just because it's Christmas time and everybody's in Christ at Christmas time. No. You're not in Christ because you got to the parking spot first but allowed that person to get in in front of you and just waved at them and said, yeah, Merry Christmas. That doesn't get you in Christ. You're in Christ only if you've come to a, in a time in your life where you have recognized that you can't possibly be good with God based on your own doing. And you know that Christmas isn't about candy canes or reindeer or hot chocolate or any of those things. Christmas was God's declaration that he has made a way for you to be rescued from your sin. And that rescue is in a person, Jesus Christ, born in a manger in Bethlehem, worshipped by kings and shepherds because they knew he wasn't just a baby. He was a king, and not just any king. He is, the, as we just sang, he is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is the prince of peace. He is the mighty God. He's the one who came to lay down his life on the cross for you. Being in Christ means you understand that those nails that were driven in his hands and in his feet were the nails that you deserved. And it was payment for your sin. And through his blood, he has purchased your redemption, your forgiveness, your peace with God himself. You are in Christ when you confess that you're a sinner and that Jesus is your only hope and you ask him to rescue you from your sins. And if you have done that, you are in Christ. And if you haven't, 
Would you consider it? I won't beg you. My God's too big to need somebody to beg to be on his side. I'm not begging you. I am telling you this is your only hope. This is your only hope of rescue. And maybe today as we walk through just a few more things and a few moments we have together, being reminded of what we have in him, you will recognize how beautiful our Savior Jesus Christ is. I mean, we've been talking about in him and in Christ for the last couple of weeks, right? And somehow, somehow we get to this place where there's going to be a transition that's needed because if we don't transition the way that we handle these verses this morning, these few verses, we are not going to be able to wrap our heads around it. It's, it's kind of, we have a tradition, um, a poorly followed tradition in the Taylor home. Uh, Stephanie and I started this uh, early in our marriage where we decided instead of getting each other big gifts or anything like that for Christmas, we had stockings and whatever could fit in the stocking, that was acceptable. You could buy each other a gift if it fit in the stocking. It's all fine and good for jewelry, not so much for a lawnmower. Um, <clears throat> However, truth be told, one of us, one of us is an expert stocking filler. I watched Steph and she's like a ninja. I mean, it's just like, how did you fit that in there? It's like that bottomless thing. You just keep pulling stuff. She's amazing at it. I, not so much. So I just straight up cheat most of the time and don't even apologize for it. It's Christmas. Get over it. It means I love you. All right. So however, one year I knew she was she was, she was being really persistent about it. stocking only, stocking only. Well, there's more than one way to skin a cat. I found myself a five-foot stocking. <laughs> I pots and pans in there and stuff. Hey, I'm going to tell you right now, if you understand what it is we have in Jesus today, you are going to need a bigger stocking than that. <laughs> in him, verse 11, we have received this inheritance. What? In him we have received inheritance. So you just go back the past few weeks and say, in him we've been adopted. We know we are loved by the king of the universe. In him we've been redeemed. That means we've been set free from our sin. That is unbelievable that God would rescue us from ourselves. In him we've been forgiven. That means there is no more guilt. There's no more shame. And today he tells us, you're given an inheritance. We are loaded. How did we get it? Because we're in Christ. How did we get it? Well, not by mistake. Look, look at verse 11. Because we were predestined according to the plan of the one who works out everything in agreement with the purpose of his will. I mean, there's some redundancy happening here. He's just piling on words. It's according to the plan of him who works out everything in agreement with the purpose of his will. How did we get it? We got it because it was God's desire for us to have. It was his plan, his joyful assignment to us. Again, not because of anything we have done, but because of what God has done for us, which makes us an incredibly privileged people. So, so I mean, you don't ever want to ask this about your inheritance, but we'll ask it in here. What are we getting? I can try to explain, but there's no way. There's absolutely no way for any of us to truly comprehend this. I mean, it goes back to verse 8 where it talks about uh, he's, uh, according to the riches of his grace that he richly poured out on us. I, last week I had a number of you come to me like, all right, Frank, you talked about him richly pouring out his grace on us like God is trying to waterboard us. That is a completely different picture that I've ever seen of God. I apologize. I just don't know how to explain it. I can't say he's trying to drown us with it. 
He, he just keeps giving it to us. We can't, we, think about it this way. Think about going to a place where there's endless resources. It's not like God is giving to us from his resources. Okay, I've got $1,000. I'm going to give you a dollar out of my $1,000. And as he gives us money, his $1,000 drops. It's not like that. It's according to his riches. It means he has innumerable dollars. And so he's just like, here, take a bunch. Take even more. And you're trying to receive it and stick it in pockets. And you're out of pockets. He's lavishing this grace upon us. He is dumping it on us. He is reminding us that this comes as a result of the fact that we have been adopted as his sons. We, we are his child. This, this is an amazing verse in, in Romans chapter 8. It says this, The Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if children were also heirs, heirs of God and, and co-heirs with Christ, we are his children. So as a child, you have been given the privilege to live in your parents' home. Eat your parents' food. Maybe drive your parents' car. Perhaps. Definitely spend your parents' money. That's what happens when you're a child. That's the privilege that comes with being a child. But eventually, and, and, and don't allow this to go morbid, but eventually when your parents pass, if you're their heir, then you inherit whatever belongs to them. It's now yours. Now, that can be a little... That can be a lot. It really depends on who your parents are and what they have. As a child of God, as God's heir, so what belongs to God? <laughs> Simply put, everything. Absolutely everything. God's response to his people for every animal of the forest, it's mine. The cattle on a thousand hills, mine. I know every bird of the mountains and the creatures of the field, mine. If I were hungry, I wouldn't even tell you because the world and everything in it is mine. God owns everything. And as his heir, that is part of our inheritance. Now, it's crazy enough to think about being um, heir to God's throne and receiving all of those things. But what's even crazier is to think who you are heirs with. Let me go back to that Romans 8 verse. So, so spirit testifies together with our spirit. We are God's children. And if children were heirs, we are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Okay, so this one absolutely hurts my head. So we have the same claim to the last testament and will that Jesus has. That means in eternity, whatever Jesus gets, we get. So, so if for some reason, if for some reason we, we get to eternity and God's handed out all of the inheritance, he gets to the end, it's our turn, and there's none. Nothing's left. Okay, so, so if we get nothing, that means Jesus gets nothing. Maybe you get to the end, there's just a little left. It's simply unsatisfying. It doesn't satisfy you. You're like, oh, thanks a lot. And guess what? Whatever you're unsatisfied with, that's what Jesus is going to get. Now, that's called a reductio ad absurdium in Latin. Because it's completely absurd. We're not going to get to the place where Jesus gets nothing. Jesus is going to get everything. So maybe that helps us fit it in our head. It doesn't. <laughs> it still doesn't fit. The fact that when Jesus gets it all, so do I. You will not stomp out of the attorney's, attorney's office disappointed with your inheritance. I am a co-heir. You, if you are in Christ, are a co-heir with the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Wonderful Counselor, the, 
the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. You are a co-heir with him. And, and, and Peter tries to explain to us in 1 Peter chapter 1 what our inheritance actually looks like. And let me kind of run through this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Okay. Somehow I've got to skip that and not talk about that. But do you see what he's given you? (laughs) And he's also given us this inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. So let's talk about the inheritance just for a second. It's, It's imperishable. That means it can't be injured. It can't be damaged. It can't be spoiled. There's no corruption in it. There's no decay in it. Everything in our world today is slowly dying. Newsflash, even us. And as you get older, you recognize that a little more readily. So, teenager, I used to run into walls, laugh, get up, and walk away. Wednesday, I sneezed and threw my back out. (laughs) This weekend, I was just talking to Miles before the service. This weekend, I was raking leaves. And I'm in my yard, I don't even know if I can do this, (laughs) picking up the leaves. And today, I'm like, oh, no. Because, you know, leaves are really heavy. Um, I started, I told a couple of guys, I started a, an exercise routine ahead of January 1st so I could feel like, feel like I'll fail before January 1st instead of in February. But um, the exercise routine is very basic. Most of us can succeed at least for the first two weeks, and it's this. Day one, you do one push-up and one sit-up. Yes! And then every day, you add one. So by day 10, you're like 10 push-ups, 10 sit-ups. And the plan is, day 300, I'm ripped! When in fact, day nine, I can't lift my arms up. Like it's nine push-ups. There's decay. And God says, let me tell you, the natural course of this broken place is decay, but your inheritance for all of eternity will never tarnish. Your inheritance can't be defiled. It's unstained by sin. It's, It's not polluted by the impurities. I've said this before. You take the most beautiful thing you have ever seen whether it be a sunrise, a sunset, a mountain range, oceans, whatever it is, you take the most beautiful thing you have ever seen, and it is polluted by brokenness. So it's amazing. This morning as I walked in, as amazing as that early morning sky was with all those stars, as I tried to take those in, it was overwhelmed by them. Because of the pollution of sin, it was like I was watching them without my glasses on. Your inheritance is polluted by nothing. It is absolutely sin-proof. It's unfading. It will never grow dim. It can't grow dull. Even your favorite things in our world today get to the place where they stop amazing you. It's Christmas for the little kids. I just want this one toy. I just want this one toy. And you hear about it from like July to December. You buy it in September and the kid's driving you nuts so you want to give it to them, but you hold back. You get to Christmas morning. It's a big surprise. This is the one that they've wanted. They get to the tree. They rip it open. There's that one toy. It's the one toy I want. This is amazing. That's 7 o'clock on Christmas morning. I'm so excited. You're the best parents ever. I'm going to use it. And at 9.30, they're like, I'm so bored. Our inheritance is absolutely 100% time-proof. For all of eternity, the intensity 
of our joy in that inheritance will never wane. It says it's reserved, kept in heaven for you. God, God has it for us. Nobody else can touch it. It's like going to a restaurant. You've made your reservations. That is your table. Nobody else gets to sit there no matter what time it is. This is for you, just for you. This inheritance is yours. And not only that, no one can touch it. You can't lose it because you aren't holding it. He is. It's like the little kids that used to come out of the stores with the balloons that they had begged for, and you finally give them the balloon, and they're like, I got the balloon. This is the greatest thing ever. And they're walking out, and it's like, this is the most important. I love my balloon. What? And as a dad, I would do one of two things. Either I would tie the knot so tight on their wrist it would never go anywhere unless it was taking them with them. Or I would hold it myself. You would never allow your grandma to, to slip your, 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 your five-year-old a Benjamin and be like, cool, kid, you just keep that $100 bill. You'll be fine. No, no, your five-year-old ends up with a $100 bill. You better take it out of their hand. They will lose it. And if it was up to us, we would lose it too. But God holds on to it. God won't let go of it. Everything that Jesus died to give you is being kept by God for you. So the question is, are you enjoying your inheritance? Did you wake up this morning and remind yourself that I'm a child of the Father? Are you amazed by the fact that he chose to adopt you? He chose to, to and delights in and gets joy out of dumping wave upon wave of grace on you. His peace, his joy, his love, all those things are our destiny and he has secured our destiny with those things. And so no matter what your circumstances are this week, whether it be that job, that bank account, that relationship, that, that, that prognosis, that treatment, that level of stress or anxiety, no matter what it is, no matter what those circumstances are, God's peace, love, joy are yours in him. Which brings us all the way back to the beginning again. So, so honestly, I, I talk about the bigger stocking, and sure, you can get a bigger stocking, but the joy of Christmas isn't that you need a, a bigger stocking, and the, the hope of Christmas isn't that someday you're going to have this incredible inheritance and this great wealth in your hands, because the, the greatest Christmas gift that we have ever been given isn't a what, <laughs> it's who. So a young pastor had been called to the bedside of a of an older believer who had just been given his prognosis. Um, the cancer had spread. It was getting worse. And it was days now. Not weeks, not months, days. So as they sat in silence for a while, the, the young kid was like, hey, do you mind if I share with you just the sweetest verse in Scripture? And, and the older believers, certainly. And so the young man opened up his Bible to, to John chapter 14, and he read this. Don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. These are the words of Christ. In my Father's house are many rooms. And if not, I would have told you, 
See, I'm, I'm going away to prepare a place for you. I'm going away to prepare a place for you, sir. That's the promise of Jesus to you. And the elderly man said, Sir, young man, I appreciate that. It's very kind of you, but that is not the sweetest verse in the Bible. See, you stopped too early. Let me, let me remind you of what comes next. See, you, what you said is true and what Jesus promised is true. He's going to prepare a place, and that's wonderful. However, Jesus continues, if I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will take you to myself so that where I am, you can be too. That's the sweetest verse in Scripture. Our inheritance isn't in what, it's in who. We get to go into the very presence of our God who who made us, who loved us in spite of ourselves, who overcame all of the obstacles we keep thrown in his way, who chose to adopt us as his children and loves, delights in, takes joy in, lavishing grace upon us so that every morning we would look to the sky and be like, I don't deserve this. And he says, you're mine. And someday... You will be with me. And I wish you knew what you had in Christ. It will change your tomorrow, your next week, your forever. When you fix your eyes on that precious gift that's been given to us. Father, thank you for the faithful love that you have displayed to us time and time again. Father, I thank you that by no means of our own, You have come and and adopted us. You have secured our inheritance for all of eternity. Father, that you have dumped your blessings out on us time and time again. Father, I, I pray that as we consider what we have in Christ, that as we face whatever obstacles may be waiting for us even outside these doors, that we would remember that, that as we continue down the road, as we continue to make choices, that in the end you have promised that we will be with you where you are. God, I ask that you would fill us with that hope and that joy. Father, I thank you for the love that you have demonstrated to us that is so undeserved. God, I ask as we contemplate that love, as we consider that love, that our hearts would pour out in praise and and glory. Father, that we would proclaim your name loud. You have been faithful, you have been gracious, and you have loved us. Father, thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for his sacrifice on our behalf. It's in his name I ask these things. Amen.